Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Continuous Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Lange, and I'm joined by my co-host, Darcy Bellier. If you like what you hear today and want to support us, take a moment to follow us on Spotify or on your preferred podcast platform and give us a top rating if you're able to there. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can find us on social media at the Cont Coach on both Instagram and Twitter, as well as send us an email at thecontinuouscoach at gmail.com. Neil Anderson is not only the guest on today's podcast, but one of my mentors in the game of lacrosse as well. With all due respect to every other coach I've ever played for, worked with, or met, he's quite honestly the best at his craft. I think you will see from the interview the tremendous amount of passion and energy that he brings to the game. Anderson played his first two seasons of college lacrosse at the University of New Hampshire. When UNH decided to cut their program, he transferred to local Division II Merrimack College. He serves as team captain of the Merrimack squad as a senior, was also named an academic All-American during that year. Upon graduating, Neil was selected in the seventh round of the Major League Lacrosse Draft by the Boston Cannons. He played in the professional league for seven seasons, splitting his time between the Cannons and playing his final season out in Denver with the Outlaws. While playing, Anderson earned his master's degree in teaching from Boston University in 2006 and is currently in his 12th season as the head coach at Norwich University. He had a previous stop at Curry College where he served as a head coach. Before this, he was an assistant coach for his alma mater, Merrimack. And besides these stops, he spent time as a school teacher and as a lacrosse coach in Wayland, Mass, his hometown. And he also currently runs the Woodchuck Lacrosse Program in Vermont. Thank you for joining us today, as I know you will for sure get a lot out of this interview with Neil. Get your notebooks ready as you join us on our journey to become continuous coaches. Thanks for joining us today. It's uh, great to see you virtually and talk to you again. Yeah. Um, great to be here, Mark. Let's put it that way. And Darcy, thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Neil, talk to us about Wayland. It's a town with a, a pretty good rich tradition now of uh, lacrosse. You were among the beginning of that. Uh, what was it like to grow up in a, in a town and kind of watch it, watch it develop over the last bunch of years? Well, yeah, Mark, thanks for the great introduction, too. I, I, um, I'll try to weave in a couple updates as well, because I know Woodchuck is in good hands with Ian Thomas. I've uh, get, handed the reins over to him for that uh, hybrid style of development. I want to make sure if he's listening, he gets a big shout out for all the stuff he's doing right now. Um, but yeah, I would say that the the development philosophy that um, I love did start by being an underdog in Wayland. Like we were part of this bigger uh, Metro West. Um, I'm sorry, it should be Metro East, really, but Metro West uh, area of Boston that Lincoln Sudbury, Concord Kyle, Acton Boxborough, these these are the big boys. And we were a small little division three school playing in that league. So we saw division one competition and on paper, we weren't supposed to match up to any of those teams. And um, when I got my first shot playing uh, lacrosse on the varsity team as a sophomore, I had an All-American to really kind of show me my, the way. And because we didn't have a lot of depth in those teams, 
Um, he had to put the team on his shoulders. He asked me to be a role player and just do the little things as best as I could and was very patient. So these were my first models of like how to be a consummate team player despite your talent level. And then as I um, progressed during the years, uh, I tried to do the best I could to lead by example, still be the alpha male, but at the same time, um, make sure that I had a good supporting cast around. And I can remember clearly the the, the day that we almost beat Lincoln Sudbury. We took him to, uh, I think it was a double overtime, but I might be misremembering overtime. Um, and I had a bunch of goals in that game, including the one that tied it up in the last waiting seconds. And I had a chance to win it in overtime. And that would have been the the, the hallmark in like Wayland's. Um, and we did beat some of the big, other big schools that year for the first time. But Lincoln Sudbury was always the one, the shining star that you wanted to get done. Um, so that's when we knew we arrived at a, at a lacrosse program. And Wayland is when we were competing with the big boys. And um, Adam Olshansky, the hippie, uh, you know him quite well. We're still good friends. He was my assistant coach at Curry with, uh, with Lanji Poo here. And, um, you know, he was a senior captain with me that uh, in 95. Um, he went on to play Colgate and is still one of the most the fiercest uh, competitor I know. Um, shut down long stick midi, close defense, didn't matter where you put him. He would just, he'd bite your ankles off to prevent you from scoring. Um, and so that, that's really how I, I found that grit and determination. Um, and also I think my potential as a coach, because I, I'm addicted to potential. When I see, you know, a short, stout, uh, roly-poly kid on the lacrosse field, and you're just like, what am I going to do with this kid? You're like, ah, I'm going to teach him 100% finish and just put him on the crease and feed him everything, jam and say, hey, Lynch, just catch it, pump, and put it in. And then like 30 goals later, you're like, told you. So that's that's kind of how I, I love, uh, you know, I love to see the coaching opportunity. <laughs> I think it's funny. I remember my uh, my senior year. It's the only year with Neil, uh, a year that changed my life. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it didn't happen. But yeah, uh, it taught me the 100 percent shot. I had 30 something goals that year, maybe 29 goals and maybe 27 of them were the same move. I learned it my last year. I wish I had it before. So for sure, for sure. So. <laughs> There you go, man. And so it's just funny because I do think when you're around the right people and it's the right opportunity, um, the the students or the people you're around, it'll click for them. They'll see the game a little bit differently or simplify it. And I don't know how you guys feel about coaches, but I, I, I do feel like it's not about what I personally am going to do for somebody. It's more of like if we can get them in the right environment with the right opportunity, watch what happens next. You know, and that's the fun part about development is like, I mean, I hear it all the time is I'm a way different player from the beginning season to the end of season. I'm a way different player from freshman year to senior year. And it's true. They're just seeing the game differently. It's slowing down for them and they got the skills to take advantage of what's happening. But also, too, I Mark, I know you alluded to the fact of like mental coaching and confidence um, building. Um, I mean, how I love Canadians because I always think of them as so like water rolls off you guys. You know, like you got a bad loss and you're just like, yeah, so we lost. I'm going to shake your hand and have a good day. Right. And you're like, I don't I know that's probably not true, but that's how we always feel is like we've got to play more Canadian. We're less emotional, but like not mo less emotional. We're probably as emotional, but we don't let it affect our level of play. I see a lot of our student athletes at, at Norwich get too anxiety and worried about making mistakes when I feel like if we could just roll with the punches and that's why I go back to the box style. I love the fact that when you miss shots, the play is just beginning. It's not that the play is over. I don't know. Does that, Darcy, does that ring a bell? Like, is that how maybe you could I try make that hybrid connection for me? Well, it feels like it never ends. Like the, the play is continuous. You know, as you mentioned, we were just chatting before we started here and, uh, and certainly that's the way I feel about the box game and 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 some of the plays. Um, it's a little more continuous in that sense. You're not waiting for that perfect moment. You're just 
hoping this moment is the perfect moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I do want to ask you about, you know, your your field experiences. And um, yeah. and so you had the, the pro experience in the MLL um, uh, back in the day. And, of course, there's been some changes in pro lacrosse in the States. But um, if you can think back at that time, you know, can you tell us what your experience as a pro player? Uh, what did you bring back from that? And and do you can you think of something that you've embedded into your philosophy and your process uh, now in your in your coaching? Hmm. Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, as soon as you asked it, there's a million things that kind of popped in there. But I'm I'm trying to find that right tangent maybe for the the continuous um, marketing, you know, that you guys are um, are playing on. Because uh, to make those rosters, what I would tell you is that yeah, I made six six rosters, five with Boston and, and one with Outlaws. And I made those rosters each and every year. I had to get them through training camp. There was nothing guaranteed. There was no contract signed. Um, there were days uh, during training camps that uh, I thought a lot better players were leaving and I was staying. Now, some of that happened to be like for Boston, I was a local guy. I was expendable. I was a good practice player. I could do anything. And But I became, instead of a goal scorer, I became a face-off transition defensive first guy. I used my athleticism. I found ways on. There was plays that I made in training camp that that I had no business making and I just made it impossible for them to to not um, keep me okay put it that way just to do anything you can and I made sure I was in the best shape of everybody right I just was out hustling everybody and, and you couldn't deny me so that was like how I I really envision um, uh, a work ethic as well as just a um, uh, a tenacity to say like no I want this and so that's sometimes what I have a hard time and disconnect doing is trying to um, uh, I guess inspire that same level of um, uh, I'm not gonna say work ethic I'm gonna say just like uh, a, not, a, a willingness not to accept no Right. Like I'm going to do this and I don't care who's in my way. So I don't know quite how to massage that conversation, except for just simply going back to the fact that there's um, a, a process. There's a way to see the game that can be simplified. And if we can have those conversations about, OK, what exactly are you doing that's leading to success or not success and trying to boil it back down to that, it gives some control to the situation. At some point, you want to give up that level of seeing those inches and just become more fluid and flow. But to build confidence, I find that by reducing the game down to its simplest forms, whether I'm attacking a defenseman and just, again, who cares who the defenseman is, but can I seal his stick to the high side? And then as I roll away to the inside, my hands are free for a second. Did I draw a side? Did I not draw a slide? How, where did I do that on the field? Are my hands free close enough for a shot? Should I be taking a shot? Can I step in a further, draw a slide, step off, keep the ball, and then find the, the appropriate dump so they can find the backside? So just those little tiny things about simplifying the game, but trying to make it, um, I don't know, an adventure in and of itself, just like the old uh, second assist in hockey is like, can you become that second assist guy and make the offense fire? Or when I was playing defense is, can I make sure that I do those little things on the field where I see what the offense is trying to do and I'm going to be deceptive because I understand what they want to do and start to make it a little sticky for them on the on the offensive side. No, you're not going to quite get what you initially wanted to do here or try to be deceptive enough where they don't know what's going to happen next because you're coming from a weird angle or a blind side. So I guess that's kind of, Darcy, a long-winded way to say that um, what I appreciated about in my pro career was that I played with a lot better players than me. I mean, I still remember, um, uh, what was Connor's last name, uh, for University of Virginia, played on the Boston Cannons, Connor Gill. 
incredible, incredible attackman. Had sight through the defense like you wouldn't believe. I made a backside cut just in terms of keeping some fluidity in offense. And before I knew it, I know Connor was dodging. The ball was in my stick. I don't even remember him throwing it. And I was like, how did it get here? Right. And the coach is like, Connor just jammed it to you on the backside. I was like, it's in my stick. I didn't even call for it. I didn't, wasn't looking for a pass. And I was just like, oh my God, I caught it. And I like fumbled a little bit and then I stepped down and took a shot. <laughs> you know, I was like, it doesn't practice though. You know? So I was like, right. whoa, these guys are seeing the game at another level. So it's addicting. I mean, that's the biggest thing is that I got, I got a sick addiction for the game, uh, being exposed to that level. If that answers the question. I think what you speak to there though, is, um, finding a role, excelling in it, being willing to accept any role. But then also I hear a lot of perhaps from your teaching experience with, um, you know, breaking down uh, things into manageable decisions that are easy for someone to make and saying, okay, this is, a, you know, a read A or B, pretty simple to make that decision, then move on to the next one. And so I, I think that's what I hear there in terms of, uh, you know, some, you're molding some of your experience that sounds like together into um, you know, the process you have with uh, your players now. Yeah, I'd, I'd double down on Darcy and say exactly right, is when you get anxiety, anxiety or overwhelmed, it's oftentimes because you're not keeping it simple, right? Like, hey, can we, as coaches and developmental um, pieces to building confidence, is like, hey, can we just work on one thing today? What would make the biggest difference? And oftentimes, my process is in the coaching role to ask a guy like Mark, you know, hey, Mark, so, um, you know, when you close your eyes and visualize your ideal self, what is it that you're doing? Oh, I'm scoring goals. Uh, I'm catching everything. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, let's just stop right there. I'm sure there's a way more stuff you want to do, but let's just break that down. Where are you on the field? Okay, neat. So if you want to catch there on the field, where do you start? Where does your defenseman go? How do you hide from that defenseman? If you're catching just above GLE, when you catch it, are you watching the ball come already in, all the way in, right? And if this is like, no, I haven't really focused on that. Well, then let's, like one of my favorite development drills is to take tennis balls and just chuck them at people. Can you find the seams on the tennis ball? Can you read the name on the tennis ball? Most guys, when they're trying to catch the ball, as soon as it starts to come 12, 8 inches in, they take their eye off and start looking at the next play. But we're trying to train guys to catch it, not to do something next. Just catch it. Can you catch 100%? Can you catch 80%? Just catch, Mark. I don't care about the finish. Start today with catching everything. Right? And then, you know, in Darcy, if he can get that in a practice or two and he builds his confidence and I'm catching everything, now let's go a second step. Let's work on the – let's pump, right? Let's, like, protect from the back check, right? Let's get that in. And then eventually we'll get to the finish, but let's keep it simple. Keep And what ends up 10, ten times happening though, Darcy, is just by Mark having a little bit more confidence, everything else all of a sudden clicks. <laughs> you're like, we didn't even talk about 100% shooting. <laughs> you're already doing it just because you're catching everything. So I do think I like on my board is confidence is king. All right. That's like my moniker. If you can build and instill confidence in other people, there's a number of different ways to do it. But by breaking down the game to its simplest form and just allowing someone to say, I want to catch everything. Great idea. I love it. It's your idea. Now let's just simplify it so that we can find a way. So perhaps we can measure it, but also have a, a, a skill or a, um, something you're trying to fire on to make sure that you are giving yourself the highest percentage chance to catch everything. And so we call that Wilson because Wilson is mostly on all tennis balls, right? It's Wilson brand. So we're like, where's Wilson? Find Wilson. Land, where's Wilson? And you're like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. That's how I catch everything. I got to find Wilson, right? Yeah. Darcy likes it. It's yours, Darcy. Take it. <laughs> yeah, I have so many jokes now. Whenever I you know, get a chance to finally see Mark again, I, mean, I just don't even know if I can contain them all. Them. <laughs> 
Well, I don't yeah. know. What we were, doing. were we doing Wilson back then with you, Mark? I don't think we, we were. We didn't do Wilson. No, we did. Uh, so a lot of stuff I still do with my my players now. Like capture the flag. We did. Um, you, I remember. Like, so my appreciation of you uh, as a coach was great then, but it's grown over time as I started to coach and I started to, like, we were a, a collegiate team. You know, a, you know, a, a, a pretty decent D3 team, not a great one, but not a terrible one. Right. We had a, a, a place, um, but we hadn't worked on skills in, in three years. Right. And so I remember our first practice and we were doing this thing where, you know, we were taking one step and throwing the ball. Like we were just doing line drills. Be like, no, you can't. You just got to take one step and throw. And you were breaking down our steps. You were breaking down everything. And that that appreciation, you know, it's. If I never, if I was doing what I'm doing now, but never played for you that one year, I don't know if I'd ever think that skills at the collegiate level was important, right? You know, um, and that stuff, and and, and I, I guess it, it, you know, it reminds me of something. And so when I was coaching with Patty Cav, I remember I was at Norwich and I was listening to you guys have a conversation, right? And you asked Pat a question, and you said, Pat, what's it like coaching guys that? aren't as good as you that have trouble passing and catching at times. Right. And I was coaching at Anna Maria. We had some kids that were really great, played for all life. Some kids that started playing when they are in college. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, I know how to answer that, but then I didn't because Pat was that much better than me. Right. And, and you were that much. And so I asked the same question to you. Now you do all these little things with, 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 with all your teams, no matter how good or bad they are, but can you speak on for a minute? How hard it how hard it was for you as a young coach to make that adjustment, going from a player who's at practice with Connor Gill getting that pass to leaving that and going to practice at Curry College with us and having to adjust those expectations, right? Well, let's just say that was uh, um, that was past Neil. I don't even remember what that guy was like, and he was a saint. Like <laughs> I don't, I probably Mark. I make, I make continuous mistakes every year, but I mean, that's, that's part of the growth is, um, I wish I could say that, that, you know, your experience, your memory of Curry, um, is probably right on point for who you were at that time. My memory of Curry college, right. I have, it's all roses. It was incredible. It was a wonderful time, but you know, for real, I mean, it was horrible. It was like, we were just painstakingly slow, uh, growth. I mean, you get talent in there, you develop talent. And then like, you know, a couple days later, someone gets vapped or I'm not sure say that, but like it's in trouble for alcohol yeah. policy and they're gone, you know, and you're like, what the heck is this? You know, so it's just college atmosphere at time because a lot of stuff's out of your control. So, you know, to, to, to kind of answer your question is that when I find myself really reducing the game down to like, let's say a simple le- lever pass, can you make a pass without pressure on? Okay, cool. Like you're doing pretty good. Now let's just put some pressure on what changed. Right. Like, oh, I can't quite get my hands free. OK, so you still need to make the vast. How are you going to do it? Right. And this is kind of the reverse engineering is let's add pressure or let's take the pressure off artificially, but teach them. Can they do one handed throws? Can they pin their bottom hand to their into their hip? Can you make levers? Right. Can you do something unorthodox where it's a flip or, a, um, you know, or how about deceptive or the twist? Right. Any of these Canadian skills, too. Can you do all those things just to throw differently with your stick get used to the wonky angles? But then where does that translate to? Could it possibly help you in terms of when things do get wonky on the field? where you can't quite get your hands free. And this was drives me crazy about some of the ways uh, sticks are strung these days is everybody wants a deep pocket so they can load and put it in there, but you need that two point fulcrum 
to get that snap and release off the shoulder and then flicking your wrist, which is great for strong players or people who can break away from it. But what happens if you're in tight and all you have are wrists, right? Can you still get that ball out? Does it still go where it needs to go? So yeah, Mark, I think like to answer your question is um, even what I do now with youth development is we do these uh, stick drills that are just, we, we go um, uh, tennis, play with the back of your stick. Can you flip it? Can you do uh, a lever pass? Can you, um, we do walk the dog, like just constantly doing different stuff with your sticks. So that way, hopefully they start to use it as an extension of their arm, but who cares what they call it or how they, what I really care about is can you just take that ball and put it to where it needs to go however you can <laughs> you know and isn't that just yeah. a little unorthodox because you find like just the opposite of skill development is sometimes coaches would be like it has to go this way constant over and over and over and you're like all right well i'm gonna put a defender right there now what do you do yeah which hands yeah <laughs> go ahead yeah and I, I remember like um you know when when we were doing it, it so we introduced capture the flag which you know I'll I'll put a video up somewhere so people can see what it is right but uh yeah. our first round of capture the flag we're like this is this is for kids what are we doing right by the end of it we're competing we're having fun right and so you did a great job and and, and I think you continue to do a great job of of breaking down those skills and doing it but then allowing your teams even at the high level to engage in free play, to try those out before they get into a game, right? It was never like skill, 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 skill. Then I get to the game and I have no idea how to input these skills, right? So it was uh, it was a great experience and um, and yeah, I think it's uh, it's awesome. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, the capture the flag. You take any any game, schoolyard game, and just add stick skills into it. And capture the flag is a great one because you can use multiple balls, multiple attack positions. Got to have strategy, problem solving games. Yeah. Right. Solve yeah. this problem. How about uh, like ultimate clearing? You guys ever do ultimate clearing? We take ultimate frisbee rules and you say, all right, you can catch it, but you can't move. You no, so we don't do we don't do ultimate clearing, but we do. Um, I do soccer, so uh, lacrosse soccer. So you got to run around and create a soccer ball, keep your head up, and still keep the ball. If you drop, everyone has a ball on their stick. If you drop the ball, you can't kick the soccer. You got to pick it back up. Those ones, and then uh, a couple others from the camp that 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 we did as well that we never did at Curry that are um the kids just love them. You know, they just eat them right up. Yeah, that's awesome. We do uh, monkeys and gorillas a lot now. The kids monkeys and gorillas, yeah. Sharks. sharks and, what do we call it? Uh, bros. Yeah. Bros and um, uh, bros and toads. We called it. To- bros <laughs> and toads. Bros and toads. Well, <laughs> there was a there was a million different names. I mean, now it's it's monkeys and gorillas is stuck because uh, <laughs> um, you know everybody's like, come and get my banana, right? And the gorillas are like, those are my bananas. And so just think about uh, you know, sharks and minnows going across, and you can keep developing that game differently where. You know, there could be a freeze tag aspect to it where the gorillas who are it might not want to take the ball away. They just freeze somebody. But the only way to get on frozen is to basically make make a pass. OK. Or to incorporate some other skills of, um, uh, um, you know, you got you got half the team that has balls in their stick. And the only way to unfreeze somebody is to make a pass to those guys. The only the people who can who have balls in their stick can move. So how do you get the whole team across? the pond before a time limit, right? So trying to think of different ways, different problem solves, uh, solving games that need skills to be solved. And you're like, the kids will just come up with these wacky ways and you're just like, no, you can't, 
you can't dump it in someone's stick. You have to make a pass with someone's stick, right? And that's just the evolution of the game is you're like, so was this fair? Was it not? What do you think, kids? And the kids are always like, no, they shouldn't be able to do that. And so it's, I think that's what's fun about running camps is every day the game naturally progresses. And with the kid input is, is, is kind of the big key is, is it their idea? You know, and some kids, as you know, is like, well, you should be able to pass all the way across the field. And you're like, all right, well, should that count or should it not count? You know, and they're half the kids are yes. Other kids are like, no, nah, I can't do that. So no, thanks. Are they so, but that's, cheater? You're a cheater. You... Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's, I, I think that's a, Darcy, that's a big point is like, I, I embrace the cheater mentality in the fact that it's like innovative, right? You right. say like, okay, so hold on guys. We're not going to fix the game right now, but there's a cheat to win mentality, which I great. Okay, cool. I'm not going to make a judgment about it, but let's break it down. What were they doing? Was it cheating or was it an innovative way to apply the rule, right? right? And let them make the decision. So if it is an acceptable rule, now it's not cheating anymore. We just make the rule. Everybody can do it, right? But if it's outlawed, then yeah, absolutely. We just say like, then the kids who are doing it feel like, all right, I'm not going to do that again because I don't want to call the cheater. So I, I remember Coach Oshansky. I know Darcy has a question. I just jump in real quick. Coach Oshansky, you say it's only cheating if you get caught, right? You know, <laughs> it's only cheating if you get caught, you know? So yeah, that uh, sounds like him. That sounds like him, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thinking about all these these uh, you know simulation games, you're you're asking your players to make decisions. You're talking here about some examples of kids, but you've also referenced you know a few minutes ago, you do the same things with your college uh, kids, right? And the and the kids in your program. So, you know that would speak to me at least um, that you have you have a culture around play based learning, around uh, decision making, um, you know using multiple tools to. Um, create excitement and energy in your practice and in your program. Um, but is there anything, you know, more specific to team building or team bonding activities that you do? Uh, in this past year um, with our Carlton Ravens team, um, we had uh, all the coaches and players share a hero, a hardship, and a highlight. And, um, you know, obviously we were just on Zoom calls, so there wasn't time we could do. We felt that was a way we could still try and connect, right? So are there activities like that? You know, there's that you that you engage in um the team building activities or do you and leave the team bonding to your players um what, what's your process regards trying to build the environment around the club and, and the connection with with everyone that's there yeah that's a great question darcy and I, I think the best teams out there are, are find those ways off the field to problem solve and to work together right community service is a big part of the north university mission um it's a service academy uh most guys that come through there are, are have ambitions to become a military officer of some sort so they are sacrificing and serving in, in ways that i can't or haven't chosen to do so i give them a ton of credit um every fall there are I would say not countless opportunities, but more than we can take advantage of, of community service. Um, we also sign up for some of the bigger challenges on campus, like our homecoming, golf cart driving for our alumni, and the alumni are incredible. They come out in droves. So for us to problem solve how to navigate uh, driving golf carts around campus, it's a huge liability. But for us as a, as a team, we say there's no other team that can do it because we're, we're able to do it in a professional manner and figure this thing out. It's three days of just nonstop like pulling kids out of class, feeding them, throwing them in golf carts, finishing the routes. Uh, it's a it's a great 
you know, I, I, it's not going to be super challenging. Uh, we do have other service projects that um, uh, are a little bit more challenging, like doing um, the veterans home and going down there and doing work or, or uh, we haven't chopped wood yet. The wrestling team took over that duty. Um, but any of the manual labor stuff that we have sought out and, and tried to do, um, take advantage of during the uh, during the season, we try to find different ways uh, to engage the guys. COVID especially, uh, we did like handstand pushup challenges uh, with a flip grid. Uh, that was a service where I could just post a video and make a challenge out there and see if the guys could rebuttal within a week. Um, there's different ways to engage the guys. Um, and I would just go right back to where I think it comes together is when you have a problem solving mindset, you can then embrace, we don't know what's going to happen next in a game or in a practice, right? And I try to throw some loopholes in practices and now figure it out. That's my biggest like challenge. Can we figure it out? Well, of course we can figure it out. Now go figure it out. Don't wait for me to give you the answer because chances are I don't know the answer because I'm not I'm not seeing it through your eyes. So if we do a drill such as like, um, um, let's say we pull a defenseman out and we get into a finishing part of our offense, like we know we're going to collapse the defense. We know we're going to have a solid look inside, but we take away um, a normal, let's say, pivot point or a dump pass for the offense. Say, all right, that's not there for you. What are your other options? All right, defense, as you're taking that away, take the next one away. What else is there for you, right? And so we just kind of tweak our drills constantly to think about, um, you know, different ways that a defense would well scout us. And chances are we're scouting ourselves better than any other defense. So now can you solve this issue? And it comes back down to handling more pressure and having better skills under those pressures. Right. Can instead of making a 10 a, a yard pass, can you make a 25 yard pass on the money to a cutting a backside cutter? Right. That's that's how we try to artificially create those uh, problem solving uh, opportunities in practice. So um, this was uh, from a soccer podcast I listened to, but uh, the coach there would have players in the small sided game. Um, they would, ha- they would have a set amount of time in a, in a piece, whatever like that, but they, the terminology they use in soccer, right? But, um, and so they would go and experience this uh, small interaction, and then they would stop. They have to go back each time and and work defense and offense and kind of like reason through their process. So, it, I mean, it sounds like you kind of do some of that, but yep. is, it, is it all coaching-led or is there some of it player-led as well? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think practices are always typically orchestrated by the coaches, but we ask what the drill's for. Okay. And after we start doing the drills for a while, like, and the first time we see a drill, um, in a, in a new season, um, we've got a lot of new players or, uh, I just put it this way. The second or third time we see a drill through the course of a season, um, those are the big heavy set questions. What's the drill for? What's it trying to teach our offense? What's it trying to teach our defense? Because the drill should be teaching. Right. Not just. And that's a great question. I ask a lot of coaches um, when I go around. I said, like, if 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 I were to interview you and I want to know about your coaching philosophy, uh, philosophy, what are your favorite drills? What are your teaching drills? What are the drills? What are your bread and butter? Because that'll tell me a lot about the type of style of offense you run or the style of defense you run. What are your communication? Like, what are the drills that epitomize what you do on the field? Um, so if you have one or two drills that really start to hone in on that, those are the drills that I would keep coming back to and tweaking over and over again. So that way the offense is getting comfortable with the different looks the defense will give you. And the defense is applying pressure in different ways because they're seeing it two or three times. And as I tell my offense is like, if you can score against our defense and they know it's coming and all your cuts and your you know, all your looks out of this thing, like, and you're still scoring, like 
what other defense can possibly keep up? They don't know what's coming, right? Unless they can have dumb luck. Um, so that that's kind of, and, and I put Darcy, I really, what, how I really wanted to answer your question. I apologize for being long winded. Um, but like having the, 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 the scrimmages, 10 minutes, five minute, one goal scrimmages, and then having the breakdown afterwards, like let the scrimmage play out, do minimum coaching while it's going on and then do the recap. What happened? What was going on here? What was our philosophy? Why did the maroon team or the dark team able to, you know, uh, retain ball possession so long? Why did white, um, you know, how, how, what was their mentality playing down to? Right. You have 15 minutes on the clock. You're down to how do you manage this fourth quarter? Right. And these are all the teaching opportunities that we replicate um, in shortened time frames. But I do think the big key here is I'm doing a poor job of shutting up. But that's really our mission at the at the uh, for a coach is to create the drill, let it teach and then listen. What are the kids hearing? What are they seeing and what don't they quite get yet? And then to Mark's point is, like I asked Pat Kavanaugh. What's the quality of my next question? Do I point out the obvious or do I say, you know, what else is there? Or what, uh, what, what, what did it feel like? Or what did, what did, what did Mark, and when he had that game winning uh, 10 seconds left and Mark's taking it down, you know, what is his thought process? Of course, you're all pissed you didn't see the backside of the field, right? Because he's only counting down his head. He's myopic. He's only seeing tunnel vision. What did it feel like, Mark? Did you even know there was somebody wide open? Did you hear anybody? Right? And that's what, no, I didn't. And so now, you know, Darcy's like, but I was yelling at you, man. And you're like, yeah, but Mark is freaking 10 seconds left. He doesn't see anything, right? <laughs> I, I don't know if I like this. This is not, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not okay. <laughs> but just create, I think just creating more empathy and understanding amongst the team about what just happened. So that way, if we get back on the field, Mark feels a little bit safer about 10 seconds left in the game. He's like, you know what? Darcy's probably calling for it. Or Darcy's like, you finally heard me, man. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember uh, a couple years ago, Coach, I was I was looking for your um your phone number. I had to call you about something, and uh, and I, I stumbled upon a um I don't I forget if it was an article or what it was, but it it was you talking about something that I've heard a lot of coaches talking about, which is playing free of uh, fear of making mistakes. You know, you just talked about you know how you get your team to be fun, fast paced, aggressive but also play within a structure and have some accountability with each other, right? But how do you get the individual or what are you doing with the individual to allow them to play uh, uh, free uh, free of fear? Yeah, that's a, a million-dollar question, Mark. I mean, when you figure that out, you let me know. But that's – dude, it's, that's, that it comes at so many different levels. I mean, you, you can't give permission – they have to take it, right? They have to be okay with failure. And no matter what I say, no matter how many times I say, you got to fail more, you got to fail faster, right? They hear it and they're like, okay, okay. But then there also comes a point where you know that um, they shouldn't be making those mistakes, right? They should see the field differently. So then how do you interject um, the, uh, the correction, right? The opportunity to do something different. What is it about the player or the team or the culture? Um, and everything's different every year, man. So, you know, uh, I just, we just lost the 2021 championship because LaSalle, the team that won it, played more free and flowy. I mean, they won more possessions. They had more TOP. You could see the emotional swings of the game. Um, you know, and, and in the middle of it, I, you could even feel it. There isn't anything you're going to be able to say or there isn't a lever to push. You just, for me, I just know. I was like, we don't have it today. 
right? And that's kind of the hard realization, especially as it gets later in the game, to say we got to start forcing the issue more. Guys, just just keep. We're gonna have to live with some turnovers here, just to see if we can find some more flow at the end of the game. But the days that we have it, and the days that we have, um, you know, over the seasons and teams that we've had that that freewheeling. Um, I guess the analogy would be. You know, it's it's easier for me to get a, a dog that barks or bites to stop barking and biting compared to getting a dog that doesn't bark or bite to bite, right? It's like it's 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 easier for me to keep saying like go 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 you got this go push 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 and then start to work um, with refinement compared to a, a guy who's timid to do anything or is afraid to like try something new or is um, unwilling to be brave in the big moments because that's the hardest part for me is like I found myself being brave in big moments but I also find myself being scared in some moments but for most of my career it's all it's often resorted back to like big moments I show up and that's just me, right? That's me. Um, but for other players, that's not them. So that's the hard part is like, I get frustrated easy. It's like, guys, it's fucking championship day. What do you got to lose? And they're like, everything. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I'm like, nothing. <laughs> oh, so that's, it's hard, Mark. I mean, I, I wish I knew an answer for you. Um, and I really don't mean to come off as a know-it-all. I really am just like you guys is trying to learn through this process. And it's, I've been fortunate enough to have some really good years and good moments, um, you know, um, and that's what's really great about my memory is I only remember those. So, <laughs> and so I, uh, I know like, um, you know, Norwich is, is pretty famous uh, over, over your tenure, at least for having great face-off guys and, and great goalies as well. Right. In, in those special positions. Right. And so, yeah. You know, you mentioned time of possession in the last one and then the flow. Um, how important is that for you to to ensure that you have those? Yeah, it's important for every coach, but it's it's even more important for you. What makes those two uh, positions, um, I guess, key for you in your recruiting process? Yeah, well, number one cause of turnovers for me is shot save. So even if we can't get the right defense pieces at the right time, tempo, whatever, communication, I got a goalie who's going to uh, stand on his head at times, right, and make us look a lot better than we are. And those are turnovers. Um, and if I have a face-off guy that is dominant, now I can hide my offensive inefficiencies because I just get more possessions, right? Um, where it, it, it tends to bite me sometimes is that uh, um, even if you have a really a not an average defense and a great goalie is that we still have a hard time clearing the ball. We still end up making more defense. You have to play more defense anyways. But um, I do believe that the whole key to our success at Norwich University has been the fact that we have had great, great face-off guys and great goalies. Um, and if you look at my current coaching staff, Coach Nick Fisher is an incredible goalie coach. Um, he's a guy I, I, I you know, we... We got together and I've retained him all these years. Um, he's the bread and butter to how we operate on defense because he sees it through the goalie's lens. Number one shot, number one cause of turnover shot save, period, the end, right? You do not need to take the ball away from somebody. You just need to make sure the goalies are seeing the shots they like. And then number two, Andrew Bracey, who's played in the MLL, is trying to break into the PLL, has faced off with Joe Nardella numerous times. They're boys. Um, he is an incredible face-off clinician. Um, this year alone, uh, we had the kid out of Texas um, – um, uh, Thomas, who, who just as a freshman dominated so many games for us at the faceoff X. Now we lost a, a senior, Chris Ward, to COVID, uh, but he was another very dominant uh, faceoff guy. Um, and over the past, I can't think of a year that we haven't had a dominant faceoff guy for our league. And those two hallmarks get us to the championship game, um, you know, majority of the time. 
you know, just to have those two pieces. The recruiting is a, I mean, it's an element that you speak to, obviously, the development, too, with your goaltending coach. But um, with regards to recruiting, um, can you speak to uh, athletes when they're when they're looking at schools? What should they be looking for in terms of um, a school that fits them academically, a lacrosse school? That's their goal. Like, can you walk through the process if you were a parent with a kid um, trying to make that decision? Yeah, sure. And I appreciate the question because you're, you're going to, I hope to sound like a broken record at some point because this is a, a, a key part on any kid's or student's development as well as a family's is if you try to make a lacrosse, a sole lacrosse decision based, you know, a school-based decision solely on lacrosse, um, you're going to, you're, you're going to find success uh, in, a, in a very limited category. Um, I, I put it that way because I, I do fully believe in education um, happens in the classroom, in the community, the culture of the school, and on the lacrosse field or on the playing surface. And you can actually surround yourself with uh, some great, great coaches, but they're not going to be able to get you in and out of that classroom. Um, it's going to take your own merit. It's going to take the rest of their team to drive that conversation and apply themselves academically. So um, to narrow it down, like I've been very fortunate at North University where we are a military service uh, academy first, and we do have some incredible majors for civilians as well. Um, engineering, um, computer security, architecture, criminal justice. Uh, we stand out in so many of these categories that a lot of student athletes find us and they want to come play for us, but we often push back to say central Vermont snowing, you know, this, we have a very difficult season getting on the field. You have to make sure that you're making a decision, not solely based on lacrosse. What happens if you can't play lacrosse for us, right? Or you choose not to play, would you still be looking at North university? So that's the broken record aspect of it. Um, I do love the division three philosophy, um, playing a couple of years, division one, it was a job. I did not get the grades I needed to get to. Uh, I did not invest in my education the first two years of college. Um, I think that hurt me in a lot of ways. But then transferring down to Merrimack College Division Two, I made a concerted effort to um, get in the classroom, uh, make sure that I was a consummate A student in the classroom, so I was an A student on the field. And that was just a more mature decision of uh, for me. So that's the philosophy that I do in recruit. I try to and. and instill into all the parents or, or students that are looking towards us is, um, you know, you're a great lacrosse player. Uh, are you going to step up to the challenge of great academics here at Norwich? And then what's your game plan? And so hopefully that's uh, that's part of why our culture uh, at men's lacrosse uh, for Norwich University has had the traditionally one of the highest GPAs, if not the highest GPA, depends on the year uh, of any other. And we don't have mandatory study halls. Uh, we have all, all walks of different majors. Um, we have kids that uh, miss games, miss practices because of either military or academic um, um, investments. Um, so we're very flexible in the Division Three model, but it just we prioritize the academics first. I mean, that's the biggest thing here. So I hope that even at the Division One level, that's still true. But I, I kind of know that um, a lot of parents are hoping for that athletic scholarship and the grades will take care of themselves, you know. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Justin Walker, uh, a great coach in the Boston area, would, would always tell all his athletes, you know, it's the 50-90 rule, right? You know, 50% of the kids that go play D1, uh, you know, report that they don't like their experience, right? They went there only for one reason, where 90% that go D3 uh, report they like their experience. And, you know, Division Two and um, the NAIA, they're somewhere in the middle of that 50-90, right? And so I think that's important for parents and coaches to know, right, is that you're going there for more than just lacrosse because 
your experience is going to be more than just lacrosse, right? And then if you go there and you're playing D1 and you never get on the field for four years, are you going to be happy as if you went to go play D2 or D3 and you get on the field right away? Like you got to find that balance, right? And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's important too for kids to push themselves as 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 hard and as far as they can go. Um, but you can do, do, do that while still making the best decision for you, right? Yeah. Um, a good question there too, Mark, is like if – if if I were to I, I was thinking through my son's eyes too or my daughter's eyes and I, I would want to find a, a Mark Land you know I, I would want to find a coach no matter where they were coaching and start to get curious like what does that school have to offer as well you know it's it's there I, I think the, the 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 people who are in my wheelhouse as uh, who tr- entrust me with their children right and that's high school or or middle school they seek me out. Right. And they're like, well, can we got to get you to our school? And they're like, yeah, man, I'd love to be able to get there or whatever. Right. Oh, well, tell me more about Norwich. You know, like, well, it might not be the greatest fit for your professional career. But like, you know, and, and this is where I do think it's it's interesting. There's some incredible coaches out there at all levels. Right. But there's also some coaches that are very win based first, which you have to be you know, winning is critical. But what's the developmental process? Are you going to give my son or daughter a chance? What's the process for them to grow? What's the track record of that? What's your retention rate? What is your graduation rate? Oh, by the way, are you a winning program? And the by the way is the winning program, you know, um, so that's the kind of I would hope philosophy that parents are starting to buy into. But I know it's still, a, you know, a process here. You know, there's a lot of things there, too. And I, I think that at least when 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 I'm talking to high school kids or when I'm talking to the kids that are that are looking to come to Carleton, like the first demo was that what do you want to study? Like what level would you like to play at? But what would you want to study? And if they say. I want to be a teacher, and then they ask to go to a school that doesn't have a teaching degree. It's well, what, what are we talking about here, right? You right. know, so right. there's that. There's definitely that component. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting um, it's an interesting times. I mean, I think higher education is changing as we speak. I think that uh, we're seeing talent uh, being uh, dissipated across the country in a number of different programs in different ways. Um, I don't know what it's like over the border up there in terms of uh, lacrosse opportunities, but I do feel like they're growing here in the states uh, leaps and bounds as we see the Western expansion even more in Texas and Florida. Um, And what's really interesting is that the call for quality coaches is out, right? Schools are starting to headhunt. So, well, the know, biggest thing careful. to grow a sport is to have the quality <laughs> coaches, right? Yeah. And we're no, Mark's saying up here, he's not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple more questions for you, Neil. We really appreciate sure. your time this evening. No um, you know, um, is there other sports you look to to try and pull things from to improve or, or find new ideas? Um or is it, you know, looking at film, talking to other coaches, reading podcasts? What kind of things do you like to do to try and constantly improve and, and find new ideas that you can embed in, in practices, games, your, your program structure, um, you know, how you one-on-one with players, whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, so it's a loaded question, and I'm going to say yes to everything you just mentioned, right? So um, I love watching basketball. I love um, – 
uh, right now the PLL exposure is phenomenal, right? Just to watch the quality of what they what the reads are. But then you do it becomes a little bit more NBA where you're saying these guys are so good they can almost score at will. Is there a progression in this game? Um, does this apply to the youth or the high school or the college levels? Is it just you know too many great players and, and does it kind of uh, wash down some of the systems that they're running <coughs> or simplify it? Um, so I, I do think there's a healthy debate and all that. Um, but in terms of inspiration, Darcy, it's a great question. What, um, what I think we all need to do more of is, um, find ways for us to, uh, find our own flow. Okay. I put it this way is, is the, um, I use outdoor experiences such as mountain biking, backcountry skiing, skiing in general, um, running through the mountains, blah, 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 movement on the ground. These are ways for me to get loose, right? But more importantly, they, they, they open my brain up so that when I'm doing these things, I can process information differently, just like having a good night's sleep. And um, what I have found is that we can get really creative and inspired when we become addicted to the patterns. When you guys see the drills that you like, when you see the offense that you like, I would double down and say you don't need much more. You just got to get creative about how you're applying it, how you're teaching it, and then what the progression, what's the continuation of it. And so the guys that I consider my mentors and and um, um, real big gurus of the game, um, they're innovators. Right. They're not looking to other. They, they might be looking for inspiration or the next great thing, but they also take the time to do the deep work. So when I use um, what, what I try to do is find these ways where I can still be actively engaged. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean I have to play lacrosse to see these skills, but I, age appropriate, you know, 44, I don't move the same way I, I used to. Right. It's uh, um, I still love playing the game. Uh, but, you know, that's it becomes a little more challenging at this age because you're frustrated. You can't do what you used to do. Uh, so riding bikes for me or, um, or, or, or doing some backcountry skiing, these are ways for me to, um, allow for my brain to go into that basically engage, but diffuse move. And then the amount of inspiration that comes through and taking notes of, uh, like sitting there and thinking about what else is possible with this look. Right. Or asking the hard questions of other players or other coaches of what would you do here? I can still remember a call um, with Lars Tiffany uh, as he was transitioning from Brown to Virginia. I was lucky enough. We have a, a mutual connection. Um, I got him on the phone. He was right out to practice. He goes, hey, Neil, great to hear from you. I got five minutes. Half hour later. Right. Uh, we're still talking about like, hey, so I, I, I told him, I was like, I love the fact that you're not afraid to double on your defense. You know, you're it seems to me like you're taking away the the front side pivot point so they can't alleviate that double. But the backside's open, you know, like, why wouldn't you just take away the backside pivot point so that you're shutting off both adjacents? The doubles on the farthest pass away is the open pass. And you're, for, you're making the offense try to skip across the heart of the defense under pressure. Right. And he's just like, yeah, it's just hard because the backside of Jason is usually our help defender. He has to rotate in. And I was like, well, what about the goalie? Why wouldn't you use the goalie to take away the backside pivot, leaving the net open? Because most guys under a double aren't going to be looking for an open net. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I like that. And I was like, what? You like that? And so sure enough, I'm like glued to like all brown TV. I'm like, are they doing it? Are they trying it? And like slowly over time, I see the goalie start creeping out. I'm like, oh my God, Coach Fisher, Lars heard me. Like, you know, they're trying this shit. So it was those little epiphanies that, you know, you just kind of see that there's still an evolution to this game. And I'm pretty sure between like-minded people like ourselves, we're going to figure it out. We're going to see the next evolution. So let me just spin the tables for you guys real quick because that's what I love doing is say – 
as you guys are narrowed in on the continuation of the cross and like this hybrid mentality, what do you think is going to be like this another potential breakthrough here offensively or defensively in this game? I mean, I saw picks coming five years ago and now it's everywhere, right? Like, like I was like, oh, look, at there's a pick and there's a second pick running off this guy. It's a three-man game. It's not a two-man game. It's three-man, right? And Brian Brazil, the Merrimack, old Merrimack assistant, and I would just geek out on this. Like, we've been talking about this for six years and now it's everywhere, right? So what's the next, like, what do you think? What do you guys see from over the over the border up there? Anything that you guys are excited to see or, or want to see in the game next? I think, like, you know, I'll go first and I'll let Darcy answer. There, there's two things that we're looking to do uh, this year at Carleton, and, and, and one of them is experiment we have a really really good lsm who's uh, who's young and is going to be with us for a, a bunch of years still um and we want to experiment with with having them stay on the field in, in the uh, on the offensive side right you know and we did that uh i don't know if you remember cal williams uh, at, at wayland and we did he was on a man up with his long pole right and it was it was awesome right the goalie does not use the release point the kid can hit the net and and we think we have some of the same things with this guy uh to a to another level because of his box skill and his ability to handle the ball in tight spaces and, and really do some big things. So I think that's definitely one. Um, and the other, I think, is uh, I don't want to start a debate here again because I know we're wrapping up. But, you know, I, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in the field game. Are they going to go to a, a lower shot clock? Um, I'd like to see a shot clock at all levels. Um but, you know, or are they going to get rid of faceoffs? I know that's something that's been talked about every year and, and, and changing the faceoffs and, and going back to the way it was in the 70s for the one year they tried it. So I, I don't want to see that happen. I like the faceoffs. I like that that's a part of the game and something that you have to worry about. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, those are the two things I think that, that, that I see or that I like to try, right? I don't know about you, Darsh. So I'll have to apologize, Neil, because my knowledge of the field game is uh, paltry at best, I like to say. And, uh, you know, Mark has, has been very kind in bringing me on um, and trying to, you know, provide me some of the, some learning. And that, that for me, that's a big idea why I came on with the Ravens is trying to, you know, learn about that side, a different part of the sport. Um, what I see happening, though, is, is more um, the field game in Canada and CIS um, sports developing and being something that kids stay in the country for, in Ontario specifically. Um, and I also think in terms of the coaching, um, it'll become a little more structured and, and less of the run and gun, uh, rely on your best stick and, and some of the, you know, experiences that kids have, uh, during the summertime playing in Canada. Yeah. Oh, some great, some great answers. And, you know, I'd, I'd say, uh, you know, Dars, the, the, the team component, um, of the field game, I think is what is, um, uh, uh, the most pre- the biggest change in culture that I see between, uh, let's say, emerging teams and teams that uh, are championship or, or or have gone over that 800 win percentage consistently, and that's the fact of like having your best players collapse the defense, make them slide, but then the ball moves to the back side of the field as quickly as possible, and you have complementary players ready to take advantage. Right. So that's that's really how I, I see the quality of lacrosse, because if it, just the opposite of that is give it to your best players and get the heck out of the way. Right. And <laughs> how far are you going to get with that? Right. I think there's a, there's there's there should be a stat out there that says, like, you're lucky to get uh, 500. And, you know, if you can get to a, a, a couple meaningful games at the end of the season, like you're you're an outlier. 
right? I think it's it's the teams that traditionally can use the entire six-man front on the field game um, uh, efficient, effectively and efficiently because we know that uh, the best players um, cannot score all the points all season long, right? But they can draw the defense all season long. Right. So the best scouts that I've seen, if you look at our college roster, not to say that we're we're, um, we're we do it every year, but our we have seven to eight guys all with 20, 20 plus points, you know, and that's just like, how are you going to scout us? Because we have second line midfielders who are in double digits. You know, it's and it, it's not about guys having days. It's about the offense having days. It's about what the defense is doing to open up other guys. And then, Mark, just to double down on what you were saying, the LSM position. I see that I see we have a local high school team that puts a pole on man up too. Um, but if he's got soft, silky hands, I want to see a crease attacking with the pole. Yeah. Why can't why yeah. can't you throw that ball within a six foot radius and have these guys catching things that no you know nobody in tight can catch? So dude, you're the perfect guy for that development. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he keeps coming back to this. You know, I've been nice all podcast coach, you know? Yeah. Well you know what it is, Marcus. And I I think the experience here is once you were you know you taught someone or you coached them and now they become an adult and you but you weren't able to say these kind of things when you were coaching them. So you just had like this bank that you're just will, waiting to spend, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I this is believe me, uh yeah, we could keep flowing all night about uh Langy Poo here. Um, but no, I do think Mark I think that you the way that you see the game and exactly like how I remember um, so I, I guess in the terms of development, I, I do love seeing guys who you're like, dude, you're a Dodger. And they're like, what? And you're like, yeah, you're a Dodger. Like you see the field through with the ball on your stick, dude, you're an off ball player. Like, what do you mean? I'm an off ball player. I'm like, you, you should have 50 points and like 50 seconds to touch time. Right. <laughs> that's Mark Lynch. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 uh, that's my career right there. Sometimes I held on to it for a little too long, though, I must admit, yeah, you know. Right. But, well, what, what was nice, do? though, is but where where you were catching was such a um, a highly valuable piece of real estate on the field that you should be able to catch and then give it to the next guy as quick as possible. So it really you were you were a goal or assist guy, you know, in your in your previous life. I don't think you had many assists, but, uh, you know, again, I did. I did. That's 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 that's, <laughs> a, that's the first bold face lie of the podcast right there. I'll tell you that much. We've had we've been close, but that's the first bold face one, you know. Oh, too funny, too funny. Well, so yeah, coach, it's uh, been great catching up. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's great to see you and and chat with you. You're uh, all along my coaching career. I've always, you know, every other year went and sat in the office with you, watch it drop some new stuff, and then two years later try to do it. You know what I mean? Trying to figure it out and and. You know, I um just like you said with Lars, I, I've always appreciated everything you've uh, you've given back to me, but to the game and other coaches. Um, and uh, and it's awesome. You know, so our reason for doing this podcast is to is a pursuit to become better coaches, but also to share that passion and hope to inspire some others. And uh, we always ask uh, before the, the the guest leaves, who do you think we should interview next to to help us get there? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I'll tell you, I'm, uh, I'll am i be a little uh, e- egotistical and selfish in this one. So I'm heading over to uh, Portugal in, uh, I don't know, seven days. And I'm going to work with the Portuguese national team. We're going to play in the Lisboa tournament. I think the Italian national team is going to be there. I'm bringing over a bunch of high school and early college guys to play in this awesome. international tournament. Yeah, growing the sport over there. There's a guy named Pedro. And he's, uh, he's part of the um, Portuguese national team. This guy is, is great phenomenal guy i don't know exactly how much he would add to the x's and o conversation but in terms of growing the sport internationally and then getting ready for the olympics 
here's the type of guy that might be very valuable, unique, and different for your viewers, right? Someone who is not, uh, who is a player slash organizer, organizer, and it sh- really is a development person. He's trying to understand the game to get his country ready to compete at international levels. So he's doing everything he can, including trying to find coaches to come over and help. So that might be a really unique perspective. If you want, I'll give you his email. I'm sure he would. Time time zones are a little funky for him, so you guys might be doing an earlier like 3 a.m. one. But oh, I, I I I love it. My wife would love that. I wouldn't be gone for the night to do it. So that's a yeah. No, definitely. If you could connect us, Neil, we'd appreciate it. We definitely have him on for sure. Cool. Great. 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 All right. Well, if there's awesome. anything else you guys need from me, you feel free to let no, uh, let me know. I mean, I'm happy to talk shop with as many people as uh you know as my wife will let me. We'll do for sure. For sure. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining Appreciate us. Appreciate your time, Neil. Have a good night. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye, pal. Take care, Cheers. guys. Have a good night. Cheers. Well, Darsh, I don't know uh, how that was for you, but uh, but catching up with Neil is is always great for me. You know, he's such a um, intelligent, uh, smart guy in general. Um, but the way he thinks about lacrosse is. Uh, it's always captivating to me, right? You know, I can go to his office and we could talk about the stuff we just talked about here, or I can talk about, you know, just a man up or just a man down or whatever it is, and 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 sit there for hours, listen to him show different ways, you know, how he how he how he takes the whole of that man up or how he takes the whole of that offense or defense, and then it's always fascinating to see how he how he starts and how he begins to break that down in his practices and in individual player meetings and work the way towards, you know, playing six V six offense or, you know, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Very articulate. Um, I can see the passion that he has for the game and, you know, how, how lucky you were to have him as a young person being your coach and, and um, you know, he's instilled that passion in you. Um, but also he's instilled, just like you mentioned there, like breaking things down to the brass tacks and then moving forward, you know, let's keep it very simple. Let's go to the absolute minimum here and, and how to develop these really, you know, focus skills. Um, if I'm coaching at this level, because I know he has that, he had that, was it Lumberjack or what was it called again? The um, Woodchuck, right? The Woodchuck lacrosse, yeah, Woodchuck. Yeah, yeah, so he, t- he talked about that. Well, he's moved on from it now, but you've mentioned it in a conversation with him about Woodchuck and, and development at the youth level and, you know, really focusing on the skills and then progressing all the way up. Um, and so I, I just found that, uh, his insights really interesting, like, you know, the full picture and then, you know, the pixels in the picture. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like he mentioned it, like he mentioned the 100% dodge, but he also mentioned like the visualization and, and he, he used me as a reference, but he was younger then and we didn't do the visualization then, but we, we did the 100% dodge and he talked to me about your, like I was a crease guy in, in field by the time I got to, by the, by the time I got to play with him and, um, you know, his ability to say, okay, here's the three moves, right? Here's the 100% dodge and shot. Here's the, here's the question mark dodge and shot. And, and here's this offense that we use that's mirror. And it was a one for one offense, but he talked about the 100% dodge and, you know, I think it was 80, 90% of my goals came off of that, uh, that one play. And, and that's just an example of him coming in and saying, okay, I see this kid, I see his skill set. And I see where he can fit in. And then I also have to look at where does he fit in with what this guy does well and what that guy does well. And he talked a little bit about that as well with his with his own career, right? Being a, a pro guy who was a, a high-level scorer in college who played um, you know, multiple positions as a kid growing up and how when he got to uh, pro, it was kind of a little easy to reinvent himself because he already had those skills and he can see the game in that way, right? And so we think about this as a youth lacrosse perspective and giving youth coaches some tools 
that's the best tool I can give. I think any lacrosse coach can take out of this interview is don't pigeonhole kids early, right? Just because he's your top scorer, top shooter when he's 11 years old, he should still play defense. He should still play midfield. He should still take faceoffs. He should try goalie if he can, right? Because by the time he gets to high school, by the time he gets to college, by the time he gets to, you know, hopefully play pro if he's that good, he'll be able to morph himself into different things. Where if he's just an attack bin righty shooter for you right now, the chances are when he's asked to play D midi uh, at the college level or at the high school level, he's going to struggle doing that, right? Yeah, so um, there's a, a story about an Ottawa lacrosse legend, if you will, in Jeff Zwicky, and um, he used to play goalie in the first half and attack in the second <laughs> because he was top of everything because his hands were so good. You know, the other team would get iced, and then all of a sudden they go down and pop 10 in, and uh, they would win games that way. So, you know, just about you know, the multi-positions uh, there. But um, I really like what he said about, you know, it's not about what I can do for a player. It's about me finding a role for that player and watching their development and the progress and what they can do, you know, on their own. And that spoke to me, at least, to his player-centered coaching and, um, you know, the way in which he's going to find a role for somebody and not try and give them every little tiny piece to get better, give them some of the pieces and then just kind of, you know, watch the plant grow, so to speak. Yeah, I think, and you saw that too with like the problem-solving games that he does, right? So, you know, capture the flag and how he talked. He talked at length and with passion about how much he loves that game because he's giving little kids uh, a lacrosse ball. He builds up a little bit of skill set in them before they start playing the game, but then says, go and play. And I'm going to throw different rules at you every time, and I'm going to watch you guys try to figure it out on the field. And then as a coach, I might lead the discussion, but I'm not going to tell you what you did right or wrong. I'm going to ask you what worked well and what didn't work well. And then when you tell me what didn't work well, I'm not going to tell you what you can do to change that. I'm going to ask you what you think you could do to change that. And then if you're wrong, I'm not going to interject and say, no, that's not right. I'm going to say, okay. Let's go out and play it again. And then when they when they try that thing, if it works, then great. I was wrong as a coach. If it doesn't work, I can then again sit back and problem solve with them again and lead the discussion, but not interject. Like let the kids kind of find it themselves. Yeah, at the end of the day, like I, I, I have this conversation with other coaches as well, but lacrosse is a continuation sport, you know, just like hockey and 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 so it's never it never stops. And in that sense, it's not that we can we can't dictate some of the things that do happen as coaches. We definitely do have those things, but you need to build decision-making because players have to make decisions all the time on the floor or on the field. And so without having that ability embedded in their practice and their processing of the game, when they have to make a split second decision, they're saying, Oh, what am I supposed to do? You know, and if that option is not there, they don't know what else to do because they don't have, they never had to go through the process of making a decision. Um, so, you know, the other thing Neil talked about was using tennis balls. And um, I can say for myself, uh, I was so happy to get back into coaching this past week. But um, I used tennis balls with my midget players. And I think at first I had some, you know, looks. I said, listen, um, this is about developing your hands, about creating soft hands, not relying on the weight of the lacrosse ball to catch and throw. And, um by the end of this, you're going to have better hands, every single one of you, even the guys who are Team O players. Um, so the one other thing about the games, you know, he talked about these, um, you know, kind of some game-based learning. And and I really thought of it initially as uh, a means of uh, developing how to progress up the field 
you know, uh, in a field across context. And to your point to me was, well, that can still exist in box. And then I said, you're right. There's another situation, another game that I've used before calling a three zone game. So the ball starts, let's say your defensive zone and you have, you know, two or three guys on the same team competing against two or three other people. And then they have to move the ball up to the team that's in between the blue lines. And then that group has to move the ball up to the team that's from the blue line into the next net and actually shoot on a goalie. So there's this kind of constant ability to get of your own end, to go through the transition between, you know, restraining lines or blue lines, and then in the offensive zone. So still a way to build that, um, you know, situational passing and game-based environment in a box context. And that, that'll work at any single level, right? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up tennis balls. I think um... – you know, when I was growing up, I remember we had we'd have to play indoors, and our coach would inject water into the tennis balls because he wanted the weight to feel like a lacrosse ball, but you're still using a tennis ball, right? And we used to say as kids, this was stupid, and and our coaches would make us do it because the school made us only use tennis balls when we were practicing indoors, and there was it was winter, we couldn't get outside. But as we moved outside and as turf fields, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit. We didn't have turf fields back then, but as turf fields came out, that art of tennis balls went away. And Nick Myers, uh, Ohio State coach, was the first coach that I started to hear really start to preach it again. And I was so glad when he did because you a whole generation of kids were growing up uh, on tennis balls and developing soft hands just out of necessity, not because the coaches knew that was going to be the, the right or the wrong thing to do. And then now – you have you know, kids that at the youth level that aren't doing it. So when they get to be 16, 17, 18 years old, they think it's stupid to play with a tennis ball. But if more coaches use tennis balls, or I know you've used no bounce balls before, if they use things like that, tools at a young age, and have them do it as they grow up, they just grow up thinking this is what we do. This is how we train. It's another – it's like using a cone, right? It's the same idea. It's just a great teaching tool, and I think that with the players that I've coached, I've seen more growth and development out of the use of tennis balls than I have with any other uh, single tool that you can get. And it's a it's a three dollar carton at the store. It doesn't cost you much money at all. Right. Or if you um, have an RTA in summer 2020 beside a tennis courts, you can just, uh, you know, see what you can find as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the other one I liked uh, from Neil, I and mean, there's tons of things, but um, the other one he talked about was, and it kind of going back a little bit in our conversation, but about finding a role for somebody and about visualization. And um, you know, he said, close your eyes and tell me your ideal self and what you, you visualize yourself doing. Um, and that's such an important thing. You know, I don't know when um, players start doing that. And I speak from my own experiences probably after age 25. <laughs> But, um, you know, the visualization is, oh, what is mental performance? Uh, okay, visualization is the first thing that we talk about. But how many of us actually do it? How many of us talk about it? And then in this situation, you know, from that player-directed you know, coaching, um, we can still use that, not necessarily in a direct situation, but just to find the player the right role um, and then to help them in their process to become a better lacrosse player. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think like, um, you know, the last thing that I want to say, and and I think that Neil's interview should just speak for itself. He gave a lot of tidbits, but not just tidbits. He gave a lot of, uh, you know, this is what you should do. And this is how I do it, right? This is how I use that tool. Um, but what he really talked about, which I think is important, is is the process and how do we break down passing and catching. And I use something with my athletes that I, I meant to ask him, but I didn't ask him, but it's bows and toes equal perfect throws, right? It's just a way that he taught me 
how can we break it down and make it easy for kids? Now, he talked about that at the collegiate level where he's not using that rhyme scheme because it's a little corny for the kids of that age. But I'm using one hand at the top then I'm using my bottom hand at the bottom only. And then I'm using it. He's a field coach, my righty and my lefty. He's he's breaking down that skill set to the very minute things. And you're working on each of those motions and each of those things. And if you watch Norwich play, yeah, it's the D3 level. But technically, his kids are so good. And part of that's recruiting, but I know that a lot of that is coaching, that those kids don't show up to Norwich with those technical skills. Because if they did show up to Norwich with those technical skills, they would be playing at a much higher level in, in college, right? He finds athletes, and he knows how to develop them. And I think that's a, a message that youth coaches should hear, right? When your kids are 10 years old, you know, it's not about just taking the kids that have been playing for the last 10 years and and their skill sets are already there. It's every athlete is a potential lacrosse player and all you need to do is break down the skills and show them how to do it and it's pretty easy to learn i always say lacrosse is an easy game to learn a hard game to master you can catch a kid up really quickly in six months uh, just one season right yeah you know what? i have to say that I don't, I don't agree with you in terms of not using that bows and toes at the college level i think it's really important to have these kind of buzzwords or short snippets of sentences um whether it's a technical piece that we're talking about here for skills or if it's, you know, from a systems point of view um, to really um, center yourself on. Like as a player, I can, okay, I have three or five words here or even less, right, that I know is what I got to do in the situation. So it's just super simple and, and it really, you know, brings it back to um, something that it's a digestible um, people, any, you know, cognitive development stage, right, because as we're talking about here at the various age groups, Know, cognitively they're different their brains have developed differently or they're not at certain stages but you can always use those simple cues um to bring them back to what they should be doing and at the end of the day um that was a big takeaway you know or something that neil really focused on um the, the last one i want to talk about with him is is about developing good people and um you know he spent a lot of time uh, talking about how uh, you know, what it means to play in the program, um, you know, it's a military college, but also in terms of how they build the community in the team, how they're embedded in the community on campus, how they're part of the community at large, um, you know, where they are geographically, and how that was really important, um, you know, in that whole athlete coaching um, to make sure that it's not just about what we do for this hour and a half, two hours in the field, it's about everything else that we do while the time that you're here we're building better people and not just you know the best d3 lacrosse program we can